You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. That just kind of set me on a different path. One of my early mentors was Sean Terry. When I sold my business, I was sitting there thinking I wanted to get into real estate. Like the best way to do it was, again, you know, think internship style, you know, style or coaching style, one of the two. Yep. But I got the opportunity to work with him. So I started doing acquisitions. The We Love Equity Show is brought to you by Azria, widely recognized as an outstanding resource for real estate investors with exceptional education, networking, and support, along with profit-enhancing benefits and all aspects of real estate investing. Visit Azria at www.azria.org. That's visit Azria at www.azria.org. Hello, We Love Equity family and listeners. How are you doing today, guys? I hope you're getting your day off, started off on the right direction. And if it's the evening, I'm hoping that you gain something from this. And I'm sure you're going to gain something from this, this podcast. Um, so let's get ready. Let's dive right in. On to, we have Rafael Cortez. He's a wholesaler right here in the Valley. He's from Yuma, Arizona. He's Previously a firefighter, he's done some amazing things as far as being an entrepreneur. He's currently an organizational psychologist, so I'm going to dig into his brain a little bit. He's going to dig into mine a little bit and see what we can come up with, see if we can pull some gold out for you guys. He's a broker owner of Post Realty and Associates here in the Valley, and he's currently wholesaling and a coach with Wholesale Inc. So, Raphael, welcome to the show, man. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Marcus. I appreciate the invite, man. <laughs> all right. All right. Kind of getting started, man. Give us your background because I know you got an incredible story about your entrepreneurial journey. How did you get started as an entrepreneur? I became a fireman when I was 19 years old and I got, I just got exposed to quite a good amount of out of the box thinking from the captains and just people who were in that circle. They had enough time in their hands to do something else. So they would always, you know, I got to spend time with people who were doing like secondary gigs. You know what I mean? Like they were a fireman for one day and then the next day they'd be a general contractor and then something else. I, I got into the, well, it sparked the interest, right, to build my own business and, and, you know, do something else with that time. My mom, I mean, she owned a, a small grocery store, so she was a solopreneur uh, for decades and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, that, I mean, that's really where it came about. I, uh, the first business that I launched was along the, the lines of health, and I, I built a non-emergency medical transportation business, which is a wheelchair and stretcher patient transport business. And I had that for years, for years. During that time, I started playing around with funds, right? So I had a little bit of extra cash. I got the, the survival stage that you know always happens whenever okay. you're starting off a business and then I had a little bit of cash sitting down I was like what am I gonna do with it so I, I jumped into the first flip did a couple of flips like that and then I found out you know the different strategies like wholesaling and and I mean honestly like it was game over from that point on it's like real estate this is where this is where it's okay. at <laughs> all right perfect perfect so tell me you got the entrepreneurial background from moms similar background as me my mother was a was an entrepreneur what 
do you think, how do you think that that fueled or fan your flames of entrepreneurship, seeing your mom do do things as a solopreneur? I think there's a duality, right? A lot of people that entrepreneurs are born, some, you know, some others think they're made. I think it, it comes down to awareness, to having the mental awareness, not even the mindset, just the awareness that you can do something on your own, as opposed yeah. to just collecting a check every two weeks, right? And, and from an early age, I think that's one of the biggest, you know, things that kind of led me down this path. I, I mean, right, I'm a terrible employee. I, I, I would be a horrible employee just because I, I would always be thinking of ways to, you know, improve the processes or do whatever. You do it my way, right? At the end of the day, we get contaminated with, <laughs> yep, yep. for lack of a better word, with this way of doing business our way. But I think for me, that was kind of like the key at the beginning. I, I just got the awareness early on that, you know, things could happen without having to work for somebody else. I didn't even realize that people would go to work when I was little, when I was growing up. I mean, in my head, everybody had a, a grocery store. You know, small grocery store, like the corner little, you know, place where everybody goes, picks up their eggs in the morning. That's yep, what I think. Yep. Mexico, right? So this happened in Mexico. And, and I mean, I thought that was a normal thing. And as I grew older and older, I started seeing people go to, you know, realizing that people were going to work and then they were getting, you know, nominal fees and doing this and that, you know, an hour in, an hour out type of stuff. But I had the awareness uh, early on. I think that was a key. Like yeah. And, and, and I think that word is very, very key is that awareness is because, you know, when, once you're aware and once your eyes are open to something different, you know, it's, it's up to you to make that decision. Am right. I going to stay and do the status quo and work this nine to five, or am I going to bet on myself and jump out there and do it? And I'm not saying that you just immediately quit your nine to five and go, you know, and, and work on this fantasy. But I'm saying is you got to have that duality, like you said, to do be able to do both and say, hey, you know, for right now, I'm an employee, but I'm using this, what I'm learning as an employee to build something over here for myself. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, I think that the best approach is learning and earning, right? If you can yeah. find space where you can come in and then you can learn as you earn, I mean, I think that's the best, the best thing. I mean, that, that's why internships and that sort of stuff, you know, they're so important, I think, you know, in terms of cutting the learning curve and also making money as you go through it. I mean, it's, it's wholesaling, in my experience, has been one of those things as well. So I got the opportunity to do that. And while I was doing that stuff, I was building other stuff, right? It, it's, I've always yep. been a, a, a creature of multiple interests in terms of projects and stuff that I'm working on. But it, it really did give me the opportunity to kind of break out of that, you know, squared box thinking per se. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's that's something with entrepreneurs is, you know, they're creators. We're builders. We're builders and creators. It's hard for us to be maintainers. And that's something that most employees are is that they're maintainers. They do go through the repetition and, you know, this is what you do every day. But for for creators and builders, it's difficult because, like you said, I come in and they say, this is the process. And you're looking at, okay, well, how can we improve this process? How can we be more efficient? How can we generate more income with, you know, this same process, but may tweak it, you know, here, there. So that's kind of, that's kind of that dichotomy between, you know, that being that, that entrepreneur and being that employee. So there's always that struggle. So guys, if you're going through that struggle and you're like, Hey, you know what I'm working, but I really want to do something else. You know, learn and glean from what you're doing now and start working, you know, from five to nine on that dream business that you're looking to do. Absolutely, man. It's like during work hours, we're building somebody else's dream, right? Your dream, your personal story of success is really being, you know, being written after hours. Yep. It's 
it's, it's, I mean, you, we have the opportunity right now. I mean, as it stands, we have the opportunity, even with everything else that's going on in society and, and economy and all kinds of stuff, right? But we have the opportunity to choose to come in and then do something after hours. If you get out of a, you know, at 5, 6 p.m., you can either go to, you know, go home and have a beer and, you know, watch Netflix for the, Netflix for the rest of the afternoon. Yep. Or you can start putting together your, your business plan, your idea, your connections. You can make a couple of phone calls that are going to really, you know, impulse you over to that next, you know, level. It's about once we have the awareness, I think, once we have the awareness that we can do, if the fire is in us, I mean, there, there's no way around it. You just got to take it because otherwise you're lying to yourself. You can lie to anybody else, but it's hard to lie to yourself, right? That's true. That is so true, man. That, that is, you know, you can't lie to yourself because you, you won't have any rest. You won't have any peace because that's something to still be itching you and bugging you in the background saying, yeah. you know what? I could be doing this. I could be doing this. I could be doing this, you know, and some people, they just don't listen to that call. So tell me, Raphael, you, you mentioned your first flip. Kind of tell us how you got into that, why flipping? So how, how did you find that deal and, and what brought that? I was sitting on some cash and I wanted to do something else. I wanted to invest, right? I did, just didn't want it sitting there in, in, my, in, in the bank account. And I hadn't really tapped into compound interest. I mean, I read a couple of books on, on finances and stuff like that, but it was like, I got to do something quick and I got to see it do something quick. The, the fastest way, you know, way to it was like, hey, come in and then fix a property and then resell it. I'm like, okay, this is back in 2009. So it was, it was just coming out of the crazy zone. It was towards the end of 2009, uh, really, when I did the first one. And I bought it from a wholesaler. I came okay. in. I didn't, I didn't leverage. I didn't ask anybody. I knew people who were doing flips, but I was stubborn as hell. And I had the, you know, I can do it all mentality. Right. I could, I yeah, could figure it out myself. Brother, I graduated from that quick. <laughs> uh, I can do it all. Yeah, I can figure it out. I can figure it out. I can. Yeah, but that's not the point, right? It, it's it takes us, you know, ten times longer to figure stuff out on our on our own than if we go to somebody who already knows, somebody who right. has already got the blueprint. Well, anyways, I, I jumped into it and I started looking for properties and I saw this one on Craigslist. And I called the guy, turns out the guy was a wholesaler and he puts me on his email list, right? So I mm -hmm. I came with a couple of properties. The one I was looking at didn't, we didn't go with that one, but I bought another one. I bought it cash. I didn't even leverage it. Uh, so no hard money, no nothing. I just okay. dumped everything I had into, into that. So I wasn't even thinking strategies, right? Let me ask you, before we gloss over that, um, Raphael, how much was it? How much was the property? Oh, yeah, had? the property. I bought it for uh, 2009. I bought it for 65000 Okay. I mean, it, Phoenix prices right now are astronomical, but back in yep. 2009, it was a completely different story. So I bought it for 65000 and I came in. I think I ended up putting, man, and I had, I think, back on this, right? Like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy it. And then I did, I did the standard thing. I came, I jumped into it, and I started doing, all right, th that's a small plumbing job. I can knock that out. You know, I did the, you know the whole handyman thing, but yep. I, was yep. money, I was sacrificing money for returns, right, or what I thought would be returns. And then I had another business running. I, I have no idea why I got so caught up in that first flip. And, um, but anyways, I, I came in, I dropped money into it. By the time I sold it, I think I made two grand, so I didn't lose on it. Okay. But I mean, I flatlined and it took me six months of headaches. I mean, just a hard, you know, learning lesson of putting it up on the MLS and then going through a couple of bad agents and that sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, that's how that happened. It was bad. I mean, I did everything wrong in that flip. I bought the wrong property. It was a bad part of town. It was pretty much dead. Days on market were super long. I didn't even look at that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, it just, you know, 
came, I flatlined on it. I didn't lose, right? Which is, you know, yep, my, yep. My, I didn't lose. I, I learned. <laughs> still, like six months and, and $2,000 worth of returns. Like, all right, cool. I got to reach out to somebody who actually knows what they're doing. That's what happened. Did a couple of flips after that. And then I, I realized I was buying from wholesalers. So I started looking into, into wholesaling. And, and you know, I, I, it's like, I'd rather push uh, cont- or paperwork than, you know, swing hammers and nails. And, okay. So that so that first flip you broke even on it, but it took you six months to break even. So you so it was basically outside of the learning, it was six months of wasted time. Yeah. Um, and that's because you tried to figure it out, tried to do it all on your own, tried to say, hey, you know what? I'll fix this this plumbing. I'll go in here and I'll swing the hammer and get the nails and go to Home Depot and Lowe's and everything like that. Right. And and a lot of people go through that at first, you know, because they they, they kind of see everything on HGTV. They want to kind of live that life, but not knowing that it's costing you money because the longer you hold that property, the more money you're losing. And because the, you, you just never know, the market could take a swing either way. You know, yeah, you can get lucky and you can, you can get it to the upside, but also there's dips as well. So, what is one of the main things that you learned from that from that flip, Rafael? Honestly, it's it's learning from somebody else's mistakes. I mean, that's that's one of the uh, one of the biggest things that I learned at that stage is okay, cool. The, the the road has been paved. There's no reason for me to walk right next to it where it's all terrain and rough and, and whatnot. Like, just walk on paved road. And, and I mean that taking that one lesson right there and putting that in my pocket and understanding every time now that I jump into something new, even if it's uh, software, if it's, you know, whatever, anything, you know, one of the projects, other projects that I'm doing now, it's okay, who's done this before, you know, before me, who knows about it? Who do I know that I can reach out to? It's, you know, friendships in my circle. Great. If not, I'll pay for the, for the experience. Right. But yeah. it, at the end of the day, like that saved me so much more and on the long run coming from that. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that people really got to understand is that, you know, those mentorship opportunities, you know, hanging around the right people, really builds that relationship that way you can go to these people and say hey you know what i ran into this problem not sure if you you ran into it before but do you know how i can fix this problem or someone you can recommend that can fix this problem for me okay so you got that first flip done didn't make any money what was your mindset I knew I knew the business had potential because it's real estate, and I mean I knew people were doing flips and making money. I just I, I knew I, I just didn't figure it out the right way, right at the beginning. And I mean, but the mindset has always been one of hustle. Like at, that, even when I started that other business, the first one at uh, twenty one, right out of the uh, fire department, it's it's hustle, 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 and learning through hustle. Yep. So I was kind of wired that way. I was kind of wired that way. One of the uh, one of the things that I think was uh, like a benchmark in, in my in my professional career was joining a, a group called Vistage. It's for entrepreneurs. It's and it's not real estate specific. There's people there from all walks of life, right? We had, you know, the the CEO or COO of Massage Envy and like this, uh, like these big companies. You have to hit a certain number to qualify to be, you know, kind of they go through mm-hmm. this process and whatnot. But I made it into that group, right? And I was sitting at the table with eight other individuals that were just amazing. I mean, they were growing uh, multi-million dollar companies and, and, and doing all kinds of stuff in, in a way bigger, you know, uh, space than I was. And then again, you know, that's where awareness hits me, right? Like, holy cow, there's different ways of doing things as opposed to just breaking walls with my forehead. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, 
and these guys were, you know, some of them were super, super good in, you know, systems, you know, systematic, you know, approach, leadership approach and all kinds of stuff. And I just got exposed to a lot of that for, for a few years. And this is back in 2010, 2013, I think that's, that's when I was in there. And I started looking at different angles, right? But again, my awareness and my perspective just got bigger because we can't do that from a cubicle. We can't do that from our own little office or, or command center when, whenever we build a business. This is one thing that I see happen you know, over and over again. People start off with a mom and pop you know, mentality or the hustle. Let's get this done. Let's get you know, hire a couple of people in there, but they stay inside the office. Yep. And, and there's so much going on outside that bubble that can really you know, help you break through some of the, one, the limiting beliefs that we have, two, just, there's, so, there's always going to be a better way of doing things. I mean, that's what I found. Like, even if I think I have the best way of doing you know, something, I'll have a couple of conversations and I'll find a way to tweak it, to improve it, to do something. There's always something, you know, good out there that we can learn from. And that's one of the things that happened, but that was like really the, uh, the pivotal point, understanding that there was other people out there who were really crushing it, doing a lot better than I was doing with a lot less headaches. And, and that just kind of set me on a different path. One of my early mentors was uh, Sean Terry. And, yeah. and when I sold my business, so I, I was sitting there thinking I wanted to get into real estate. And like the best way to do it was again, you know, think internship style, you know, style or coaching style, one of the two, yep. but I got the opportunity to work with him. So I started doing acquisitions. I met with a guy. Dude, stop, stop. That's where I know you from. I'm looking at you. I'm like, <laughs> I know Raphael from somewhere. I know because I used to go out to Westgate yeah. when he would have his, have his, have his meetups some years ago. And I'm like, I know this guy. Okay. Okay. Now it yeah. brings, it brings it all home now. Okay. Yeah. I remember you used to come up and you would, you would talk to the group every now and then. Okay. Yeah. So Sean Terry is the connection here. <laughs> right. Yeah. So he was, uh, I mean, I was, I was blessed to, to, to find that guy in my path. And I started listening to podcasts, doing the YouTube, at, you know, university thing and everything. He popped yeah. up and then it turns out that he was in the Valley and, and he sent out an email. But at this point I was on just about every wholesaler's email, you know, uh, list. Right. And, uh -huh. And I was looking at that stuff because I wanted to learn about wholesaling. I was just flipping. So he sends out an email, say he's, he's opening up for an acquisitions manager here in the Phoenix area. And I just sold the business. So I was sitting, I mean, I was pretty comfortable sitting on cash and I really wanted to get into real estate. I was like, why not? If I'm going to go work anywhere, which I haven't worked for anybody in like over a decade at this point, it's going to be, you know, somebody who I, I feel like I can learn a lot from. Learn from. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, the guy is the guy is the goat, man. I love I love Sean. So I went there, stayed uh, three years with him, got exposed to a lot of you know face to face appointments. I, I did a bunch of presentations on extreme freedom and his events and stuff like that. So that was a different level of exposure. And again, throughout this whole time, I mean, I, it's the awareness kept just growing and growing and growing and growing, and getting bigger. You know what I mean? I got exposed to business and systems and stuff that could be done at a, you know, company level. And then I got exposed to, you know, what it was like behind the scenes and, you know, working with like real, real players yep. and, and just coming in dissecting, you know, deals and ideas and all kinds of stuff. And on a weekly basis, I mean, it just opened up the, the sky's the limit at that point. Like if you don't do something with all that under your belt, like you, you got a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And one of the key things, man, that you said there is you were sitting on a pile of cash. So it wasn't like you had to go and work for somebody else, but you knew, Hey, in order for me to get exposed, in order for me to learn these different systems, in order for me to really get entrenched in the real estate, let me put my pride down. Let me set, set all of that aside and let me get out here and let me get with somebody that's actually doing it. And because you did that, you were able to 
really learn and get that firm foundation. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's trial by fire, really, when you're when you're in that space, right? You either show up or or you kind of you know fade away. But I think th- there's there's two ways of coming about you know entrepreneurship. I think you 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 can play entrepreneur or you can you know be an entrepreneur. Being an entrepreneur is it's a lot tougher. You have highs and you have lows. There's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of tough moments, right? Tough moments where where you feel like you have nobody to turn to, nobody to talk to, nobody understands your problems, that sort of thing. But that's like, I think those are the moments, the key moments that really test us as individuals and they test the grit. It's it's about getting, you know, across those emotional, you know, tough moments and 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 onto to the highs because the highs are really cool when you hit something and something finally lands i remember closing my first wholesale deal right when i closed my first wholesale deal i was like holy crap okay wow, i sold paper and i got this when i got 2k for swinging a hammer six months like that, that's crazy i mean and of course that was my lack of you know ability people some people crush it, right? One hundred fifty thousand, two hundred thousand dollars on flips. Uh, that was not the case for me at the beginning. And uh, but yeah, I mean, so you have you have this. You start to build this range of of effectiveness. And and I, I mean, I think that the story keeps coming back though to to the, the sense of awareness and understanding that once we're aware of something, once we're aware that we can play bigger, or we we have a slight idea of how to play, you know, bigger, either by leveling up with you know somebody else who's already you know at that stage or or. Yep growing together like you know i'm doing right now with a lot of people in the valley it's it's just i mean it's it's a it's a really cool thing to do when you collaborate like that so so with your organizational uh psychologist background and i know with entrepreneurs like you said it's those highs and those lows and i know a lot of times you know we go through those highs and we get really really high you know we close this deal we got x amount of dollars we're feeling good but then we go through those lows. What do we need, Raphael? Just kind of lay it out. What do, what do we need to do in order to be steady and consistent? That way we're not getting too high and not getting too low, you know, so we don't have this emotional imbalance. Um, well, I'm going to be industry specific on this. The biggest things that I see with uh, even my students right now is, it's, and you said it right now, you said the word consistency. And, and it's not just, you know, it sounds cliche, right? You got to be consistent, consistent, consistent. Yes, that's really the key, but there's a way to do it. One thing that happens is people will work for, for a lead, right? You, and and I, I think, yeah, just given the, the audience, I'll be, I'll be wholesale specific on Yeah, this. okay. You're working for a lead. You're working for a lead. You work for that lead. You, you source a lead and then you convert, have, you know, build rapport and all kinds of conversations, discovery conversations. And, and you get to a point where you make an offer, right? Now you have a deal, you get it signed and you're an escrow. Boom. When you're starting off, one of the biggest, biggest and most common like ways to, you know, break consistency is to just get tunnel vision on that one deal that you're already working. And that's what happens. People stop marketing. People stop having conversations with sellers. People stop, you know, cold calling, SMS, or, you know, whatever they're doing to source the leads. They'll stop doing that to focus completely on this deal, right? They go through a deal and then they get paid. And like, yay, I made twenty, thirty thousand dollars. Yep, yep. Uh, but now I gotta start all over again because I have no leads. It took me 30 days to close this deal, and in 30 days I had no marketing in place. So what happens? The 20k just run dry, 
because they got to remarket, we got to they got to redo everything and kind of you know start the engine back up. So the 20k go back, you know, into the whole marketing process as opposed to when you get some something under contract. Yeah, that's cool, that's nice and dandy, but you got to have a system, a way to process that, and you don't drop the ball on the rest of the stuff because whatever you work on right now, whatever marketing you do right now, that's what's going to get you paid in 90 days. You know, 60 days, 90 days. If you stop right now, you're not going to have any money. You're going to be running dry in 60, 90 days. And keeping that, understanding that, it's like, that's key, right? You can have that consistency in place by setting up, you know, processes. For example, just getting a, a simple, right? Getting a VA and having that VA call. Boom, boom, boom. Whenever you drop the, whenever you drop the ball, if you're a, a, a like a one-man operation or one, you know, girl operation, if you drop the ball on, on cold calling, there's still somebody else, you know, keeping that consistency up. So you have to do, uh, what do you call them? Safeguards. So you don't have, mm-hmm. don't have that, that gap in, in timing. Another thing that I practice is I put 30% of whatever I make, I, I drop it right back. So I'll budget for marketing, right? So let's okay. say we make a deal. I close a deal and I have a certain amount of that, a certain percentage of that, it's going to go to my budget. I keep that aside. Another percentage of that deal is going to go to my uh, operations. And then I keep 30% of that just to build it, in, you know, to build the company, to have a liquid assets in the company. Something comes along, a great opportunity to buy, I don't know, marketing in a, in, a, in a cool area. I have the cash. I don't have to dig into my personal pocket. But I break it down like that. Um, it's a profit first model. I, don't know, I mean, that's a great book if you haven't uh, taken a look. But it, it, profit first, you know, place into it. But what you have is, is you're running off of a, a uh, standardized um, model of revenue, right? And now you can, feed, you can actually feed the business. Uh, even if you have just one deal in the pipeline, it doesn't matter. The process can still be tailored so it's worked, you know, starts working that way. Yeah, and that's, and that's like you said, Rafael, that's, that's one of the things that, especially newbies getting started, what happens is they get that first deal, they make that first <laughs> little bit of money and, they, they relax, you know, yeah. even if it's $5,000, you know, 2,500, they relax a little bit and they forget, Hey, you got to keep marketing because if you stop that marketing machine, you got to wait and you got to build it back up and you got to build that machine back up. So Raphael, this is what I want to do. I want to take a brief break here. A word from my sponsors. When we come back, let's talk about that first wholesale deal that you made money on. And then how did you scale from there? Okay. PropString is the industry's number one tool for locating distressed properties and connecting with highly motivated sellers. With 100% coverage across the U.S., PropString provides a deep dive into any property-specific details, making it easy to generate lists of distressed properties and contact to the owners. No other product or service can compare. Gain access to MLS property details like expired listings. You can pull accurate comps, even sale prices in non-disclosure states. This information is typically reserved for licensed real estate professionals, but is also available to you in PropStream. Gain access to unlimited nationwide property search, comparable home sales, targeted marketing lists, and owner contact lookup, built-in marketing tools, hundreds of filters to search and sort leads. Start your free seven-day trial now by going to proud.propstreampro.com slash we love it. All right, guys, we are back with Rafael Cortez. He is a wholesaler here in the Valley. And we're talking about, you know, just organizational psychology, the mindset, you know, getting your first deal, doing multiple deals and scaling up from there. So Rafael, share with us, 
you know, his first wholesale deal. We're going to kind of dig into that. And then we're going to see what did he do after that deal? How did he scale up? So Raphael, share with us, man, that first wholesale deal. How did you find it first off? So the first deal that I came across was driving for dollars, driving for dollars. And it was actually in Maryville. Um, So anybody who's familiar with the Valley knows that Maryville back in 2012, 13, I mean, it was, the prices were real low. The area was, I mean, it's getting, it's getting better little by little, but it was nowhere near, you know, price points, you know, what are now, right? So I I came across this property. It was a vacant property. It was boarded up. So I looked for distress, physical distress in in the property. I I did a single, a a single skip trace on, on that. It wasn't a a big, massive deal. I didn't know how to do mass skip tracing or any of that stuff. Skip tracing real quick. Let's be completely elementary court. Raphael, what is skip tracing? Skip tracing is when you, uh, when you look up an owner or, you know, the owner of a property and then you, you take them through a process or a system of software. I use batch leads for that, but you take them through a process where they attach the phone numbers and now you have phone numbers and emails, places where you can contact those people. Yeah. You just add it on to, to the address. So a lot of times where you're going to be able to pull from like list stores and all these places is going to be just addresses and records of owners, right? Like absentee owner and the name is this, the name is that, the mailing address is this, but you don't, you hardly ever have a phone number attached to them. So yeah, when you skip trace, you get a number and then you reach out. It's just a, an easier way to get, get a hold of people. But what I did with this property, because it was boarded up, it, I started knocking and I saw it, it was vacant. It was obviously, I started knocking on the doors. There was a lady watering the, the, uh, the grass across the street. She was like, what are the pots and plants and whatnot? I mm-hmm. asked her, she's the most pleasant lady in the world. Uh, she says, oh, yes. And then she starts talking about the seller and whatnot. I guess she, she turned out to be one of the neighbors of the person that used to live there. And they had left, you know, six months back and or something like that. But she gave me the contact info. like So she was my okay. skip trace at that point. Now there's a lot of ways to do it, right? Well, uh, and, that's, and that's very important, Court Raphael, is because I tell people when you're in these neighborhoods, Talk to the neighbors, talk to people that's familiar with the neighborhood because they know, Okay, like you said, that boarded up house, she knew the people that lived there and you were able to get that information. I'm very familiar with Maryville, done a ton of wholesale deals over there. And that's one of the ways that I was able to source quite a few deals when I was a solopreneur is we would go out there, we would do an inspection, we would walk the property, lock one up, and then we would just kind of walk the other you know, a couple of blocks and we will find boarded up properties or properties in distress. And we will talk to the neighbors. So you're, you're right on with that, man. Yeah. So, I mean, as, as archaic as that may sound, it's still, you know, it's still effective. It's one of the fastest way to get a hold of, you know, anybody. Another yep. thing I was doing, I was leaving notes, just notes on the, on the doors. Like, hey, uh, this is Raphael. I, I have a question about your. Uh, I have a question about this house. Can you give me a call back? And then I would leave my number. And it was just to post it on the door, and then that was it. So I was I was kind of planting seeds, which to see which one would just kind of grow into a call back. But my favorite was always talking to the people who were around the property. More than likely, they had some type of connection. And and I think I feel like I really got lucky with that one. That was the first person I talked to about that property. She gave me the seller's info. Talked to the seller, and yeah, I mean it's a vacant property, distressed. They couldn't even, you know they couldn't live there. They had problems with the piping, which eventually ended up being problems with electrical and whatnot. Just a distressed, overly distressed property. The lady's husband had gotten deported. So, you know, they were running out of cash. She she knows she couldn't sell it on the MLS because of how it was. And an agent told her that they, she had to come in and fix it. So it's, you know, like, no, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. I can, you know, let me see what I can do. And then we came in, structured a deal. I walked away with $27,000 assignment on that one. First deal. Wow. it was a lot of motivating factors there. You know, like you yeah. said, 
deportation, plumbing repairs needed to be done, electrical repairs needed to be done. The realtor told her she needed to fix all of this stuff. She didn't have any money. So guys, you gotta, you gotta, when you're having these conversations, you gotta listen for these motivating factors. And that's what Raphael did. And he knew, Hey, there's something that we can do. And you basically just solved that problem for the seller. Yeah. Yep. No, absolutely. And, and that's, that's, that's the thing, right? Like the, the, there's a stigma behind wholesale. I think a lot of people get into it. And uh, even now, like when people talk about wholesalers and whatnot, like, yeah, these people are out to get you. But if you come in to any deal, to any deal yeah. uh, with a, with a solution mindset, solution-based mentality, you're going to be able to create win-wins, right? I always say that it's, it's, uh, if you, the money's a byproduct of how great your solution is going to be. If you no. can create a great solution for the seller, a great solution for the end buyer who's going to come in and flip and do whatever they got to do, they didn't, they're not going to care if you walk away with twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars worth of spread, you know, in the middle. Why? Because you solved the problem. Yeah, but that, I mean, it's, it's that's one thing I'm grateful for. It, it's I've always had that solution and you know, helping others mentality, and that's always been a, I've always been people first, people, mm -hmm. uh, you know, before profits, and, and and I think that especially ironically in this industry helps me even even you know. Yeah. So. And that's one of the things that I always tell people when I teach and everything like that with Azria is this is a service oriented business. You have to provide exceptional service. Once you provide that exceptional service, that seller, they'll be willing to bend over backwards and do everything for you. And that goes along with your, with your buyers. Also, you have to provide that exceptional service. And by doing that, you will have lasting lasting power and standing power in this industry. How much did you end up making on that deal? That was a 27K assignment fee. And I did an assignment on okay. it. No closing. I just signed it straight up assigned it. Wow. So $27,000, 27 grand just by talking to the neighbor and just by walking the neighborhoods. Yeah. So, so what did you do after that? So you got 27 grand in your pocket. You wasn't any stranger to having, having some money. So how did you scale up from there? Well, I, I mean, at that point, I kind of went back to my, to my business, you know, experience, right? So like, all right, I know that if I, you know, I'll go eat my steak and have my glass of wine and celebrate, right? So count yeah. every single win as they come in. Whatever you do, like, that's your thing. But uh, I, li I like to just take a moment and then, you know, just shower in that win and then move right on to the next thing. I just like, that's, that's the pace, right? But I, I got it. I got it back and put it right into, into the money, or I'm sorry, I put the money right back into the business. And uh, we started doing dropping cold calling campaign. So uh -huh. back then, RVM and all these things, I mean, like SMS, it wasn't a thing. Like you actually had to reach out to people to get some deals through the door. I, I knew I didn't want to door knock in Arizona, 120 degree weather. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was like, all right, cool. What do I do? So I got and I put it back into the business and cold calling. Then we got a few more deals like that. It wasn't too long after that, after I got, you know, a few deals through the pipeline where I started working with Sean. Then when I, when I started working with Sean, I stopped my wholesaling because I focused on acquisitions. And okay. stay there for three years. Yeah. Okay. So you, you left what you was doing and you started working primarily with Sean. How did you transition away from Sean, you know, and still have that mutual relationship? Because a lot of people kind of go through that, you know, especially, especially those, those real entrepreneurs, they say, okay, I'm going to stop what I'm going to do. I'm stopping what I'm doing. I'm going to go and help someone else so I can learn more, expand my you know, bandwidth so I can be able to meet more people, learn more organizational systems and things like that from somebody that's doing great at it. But then you're an entrepreneur. It's like, 
okay, I can't work here yeah. for more than three or four years because I got that itch because I know I'm an entrepreneur. I need to do something on my own. How did that conversation come about? You know, without, you know, without disclosing everything, but how did you transition going back to doing your own thing? I mean, I think it really, you know, goes back to intention, right? I mean, my intention was never to come in and then, yeah, I wanted to learn. I wanted to get exposed. But honestly, I was really excited to learn uh, or to be in a space with somebody who I was learning from. And I didn't even know, like I was listening to his podcast. That's why I was closing wholesale deals because I was listening to his process and, and, and that sort of thing. So I was excited about that. And, uh, but my intention was never to come in and then learn everything and then take everything and run, I, I right. think. Yeah, I mean that was not that was not the uh, the main goal. The, the goal was you know come in and then do my best. It's I'm wired to do that. Like it doesn't matter where I'm at. I'll always you know drop my you know my best effort into or put my best effort into whatever it is uh, that I'm doing anywhere. Right. So so I came in and did that with him, and uh, it, it was just a natural transition. I mean I, I know that he saw me working in different projects. At this time I was working on my on my my second master's degree and in, in psychology. Okay doing that stuff. I was, you know, talking about, you know, systems and KPIs and then just growing, you know, out of the box as an individual, right? And I mean, he knew I had a previous business before, so he knew a lot of my background and I respect, like I respected the, the business and never crossed the line and never, you know, took, you know, do good, it, good. You know, that shady stuff, like taking buyers or whatever. Even after the fact, after I left, people would still call me for deals. If it was something that, that was sourced while I was there, uh, I would come back and then just, you know, tell them, hey, listen, this seller reached out to me. We can, I'll, you know, we can get it close and then, but they, you know, it was their profit. It was their deal, not mine. Right, right. Being radical, I run my business. Uh, I have three principles in everything that I do. The first one is radical transparency. Okay. The second mm -hmm. one is extreme ownership. And the third one is people over profits. Those three principles, those three key principles, I mean, tell me and, and anybody I work with, you know, what we're about, right? And it, it's at, at the end of it, like Sean knew when I, when, when I got, when first got hired, he knew that I wasn't going to be a lifer, right? Yeah. And it's just, I think it's the behavioral trait that pulls more into acquisitions. Most people who become acquisitions and kill it in acquisitions have that innate desire to, to, to do their own thing. It's just that type of behavioral tendency, right? And, um... I'm not saying everybody's, you know, everybody who's in acquisitions is like that, but it, it's predominant. Right. Uh, and so, so, I mean, that was kind of, you know, talked about. And then as, as time progressed, he just, you know, he saw me evolving in, in different areas and whatnot. So when it, when it came down to me, you know, parting ways and everything, you know, whatever time is needed for me to come in, close deals, help somebody uh, else who's coming in so I can train him, make sure that he's well off with an acquisition person in place. He put a lot of trust in me and I, you know, I'm, I'm, so I want to do things right. Even mm -hmm. on the, even after I was there, even after I wasn't making any money, like I still wanted to do good because that was the original intention. That's good, man. That's, that's a recommendation and, and I commend you on that, Raphael, because you got to have those relationships and you got to do people right, you know, because this... This industry, although it's millions of people, it's it's really small. You have a few players that's really doing things. And when you get a bad name and get a bad rap, people don't want to do business with you. So what do you think is some since you were an acquisitions person for years, let's talk, let's talk to those people that are acquisitions that that are sitting in that seat right now, or they're solopreneurs and they're going out to meet with a seller and things like that. What do you think are some key characteristics or key traits that an acquisition person need to have in order to be successful? 
Well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say the cliche stuff, right? You got to have tenacity. You have to be, you have the audacity to keep going after the deal, even after you get, you know, rejected a thousand times. That one call is going to, is going to be the one that gives you the twenty, thirty thousand dollars spread. Like in acquisitions, there's a lot of rejection. You got to throw, you got to grow up thick skin. That's number one. But I think, um, you know, are you, if, if we're talking in terms of strategy, like how do you build deeper spreads? I, I can tell you, for example, that I, my, my average spread is deep because I, I break it down into four different areas. Okay. All right. So I just go for the wholesale and, and then, you know, try to get, you know, a 45% discount on, on that first hit. It's almost like a, a dance back and forth, right? So you're going to, you're going to account for your first, um, uh, cushion of spread, you can build it with using the comps. The second cushion of spread, you can come in and then build it using your, your, the condition of the property. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third cushion of spread, you can build it talking about the regular expenses that anybody has while selling a property, right? So those are three different ways that you can come in and, you know, there's stuff behind it. I just kind of, kind of, you know, thousand foot view of it. But by the time you're done explaining those three things, you end up with a logical explanation of what your, you know, maximum allowable offer is, which is a super low number, right? It's a 70% number. That's a number that we're, but there's a logical approach to reaching that space. And then after that, you come in and then you add another cushion of spread on your dispo. So there's multiple, the point I'm trying to make is that as an acquisitions rep, figure out how you can come in and then fine tune your craft. So you can come in and tap into like different areas and build spread across the deal, not just in one that, you know, that one slot. Because people will hear an offer at 70% and then, you know, most of them are going to be gone. But if you rationalize it, if you make it logical and you walk them through the process of what it takes, a lot of times you can't, I mean, that's how you walk away with $30,000, you know, $40,000, you know, average spreads. Yeah. You got to educate those sellers. That's, that's one of the things is you really have to educate the sellers because they don't know. Most people only buy and sell a house maybe twice out of their lives. So this is a huge transaction for them. But with us as wholesalers and fixing flippers and investors, you know, we do this continuously every month and it's just regular business transaction for us, but for them, it's not. So you gotta, guys, you gotta make sure you educate your sellers on why you're offering what you're offering and then be, have that, that ear to listen. Yeah. Um, also just one, one little tip out there. Do not start negotiating numbers until you're both on the same page as to what the property value is. All right. So because if if you don't, you have to kick it off with where you guys are both on the same page where the property value is. Say, I mean, for example, we have a range here in the valley, right? Say a 300, right? You're going to find comps in the 260s. You're going to find comps in the 320s. If uh, if you come in and then uh, you're talking to a seller and they say, my property is worth 320 and and you need to make your, your, your offer, you know, based off a 300 price point, it's going to be way, way off by the time you that point in the conversation make sure that you're both on the same um uh page as to okay the the property's worth i mean i think we can both agree the property's worth you know somewhere around the you know three three or five range if they say yes okay now boom you can start yep. talking about everything else because things are going to make sense you got to start off in the right page building rapport and it's also one of the things that that gets uh, misunderstood a lot of wholesalers feel like, okay, cool. I built rapport. I talked about sports and, and, you know, the Cardinals for two hours and we're laughing. The guy even offered me a beer. I'm going to pitch him on, on the whole, you know, on the, on the right. low anchor. And, and then they just, you know, step away from the table, freak out. And now they don't, you know, they don't want to talk to you. What happened? Rapport is used to discover more about the situation so you can give them a solution. 
Rapport is not used, and I can't emphasize this enough, rapport is not used as a bullet to drop a, a, a price point on a property when, when you're not ready for it. Use rapport to build up and discover more about their situation. That's what's going to open the door, right? I, I, I say that rapport gets you over to the gates of the conversation, and then the discovery conversation gets you all the way into the kitchen, and that's where you can provide a solution. There you go. That's, that's very key. I'm glad you broke that down, Raphael. That was key for you guys to hear and listen to right there. So, Raphael, currently, what are you doing currently, man? And what are you excited about in your business? Ooh. Uh, well, I have I have four businesses going on right now, and I'm excited, honestly, about all of them. I have CEO Pulse, which is my consulting and coaching company, and then I own a brokerage in town, Pulse Realty and Associates, and then I have the wholesale and flipping business, which is Pulse Capital LLC. I'm also a one of the head coaches for Wholesaling Inc. and the wholesale uh, real estate program. I'm in the process of building a. I have I built an operating system for wholesaling a while back, which is it, it's uh, it's a it's a CRM that runs pretty much the whole wholesale process, but it's it's linear, it's methodical. So I built that out and, and I housed it inside Podio for a couple of years. I'm in the process of building that out and doing a standalone software. So that's coming out. And I think, I mean, it's, it's a game changer in terms of moving from that hustle mentality, the do-it-yourself mentality, the, you know, I wear all the hats. Yep, yep business processes. So going from the hustle to the business model, I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's one of the, one of the uh, key things that's going to happen here in, in, in wholesale. So pretty excited about that. Perfect. 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 Okay. Raphael, we're going to put you on the hot seat. Let's put Raphael on the hot seat. On the hot seat. So Raphael, starting over, what would you do differently? If anything? Um, think who, not how. Okay. I would absolutely reach out for for two people to cut the learning curve. I mean, it, it's it's. I used to see it as a as an expense, but it's really not. I mean, I I spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a year on, on masterminds just to be exposed to people who know more than me. And now as opposed, instead of thinking, how can I do this faster? How can I you know handle that flip? I think who, who can come in and help me do that? Who can come in and already, who already knows more about this and help me achieve that goal? Who can come in and then help me cut the, the curve, the learning curve to uh, two things. So who not how is it's, it's, it started with, uh, with me just kind of reaching out to people for mentoring, and then it became that, right? But I think that's, if I wanted to save myself years of pain and expenses and all kinds of stuff, I would go back to, to uh, reaching out and borrowing experience somewhere else, as opposed to going uh, through the trench work. So the minute okay. you know, that I was able to do something, I'd, I'd go, go in for that. Yeah. So you mentioned two books already. You mentioned Who, Not How, and you mentioned, it was another book that you mentioned. Okay. Profit first. Any other book recommendations you have for us? Yep. You actually have one of my favorite books on your shelf back there, The Alchemist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, you, I love it. I love it. Book on, on purpose and kind of finding your, your path, right? Individuality is, is huge. Once you find it and tap into it, I think it's what gives us the key to, to the light that can carry us for the, for the rest of our lives. Definitely The Alchemist. The I have a couple of reads that are not necessarily business driven. I mean, of course, in business traction and all, you know, the classic, you know, yep. the classic, but but there's a a, a really interesting book. It's called Psycho Cybernetics. Okay. Psycho Cybernetics, and that's a book about personal perspective. How you how you view yourself and and change, you know, kind of 
changing and improving. It's it's a really it's a really good book on on mindset, on the mental approach, and really kind of thickening the skin of that mental uh, muscle, especially as entrepreneurs where we get challenged consistently. So, psycho cybernetics. Psycho cybernetics. All right. So share with us, Rafael. You briefly touched on it. You teach and you have a program that you teach through Wholesaling Inc. Kind of kind of give us some background, some insight on that. You know, if somebody wants to reach out to you through that. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm, again, I'm one of the Wholesaling Inc. coaches and we basically, the program that I have is it's focused on, on getting you to your first deal within, you know, a, a certain amount of time, 90 days we shoot for, for the process that we have in place. So we have, uh, as you're getting over to that deal, I think one of the, it, it's not too complicated, right? To do one deal. It's not rocket science. There's an approach and, and you can get to a point where you get paid, but turning that into a, an actual system and turning that into a business is a different story. My, I have a, a, a fanatical fight against the, uh, the long-term hustle mentality. Yep. It, I think hustle is a season and I think we all need it to kind of, you know, get, get our bearings straight and get some traction and really, you know, start taking off. But if you turn hustle into a habit, you're going to get burned out. It's what happened to me in my late twenties. It's not sustainable, right? So you're going to, you know, aim for hustle on deals, but if you hustle for 10, 15, 20, you're going to get tired. And when you walk away, the whole thing falls apart. That's the thing. So my, the way that I approach wholesaling and, and businesses all together, it's to, through a, a, um, a set of principles. I call it the less business, more profit model. Less as in lean, effective, strategic, and simple business. If I'm able to put that into a business, I know it's going to be sustainable. I know it's something that can be carried on. I can delegate, elevate, and then just, you know, really, you know, aim for that life by design that, I mean, at the end of the day, that's what entrepreneurs are looking for, right? And that's how we shape the wholesale program. We begin, you know, with the, with the basics, with the foundations and everything that you need to build a, a uh, the actual framework of a business. And then we start building on top of that. So we're learning as we are earning because we're working towards that first deal. And, and I mean, and it happens, it clicks. And then when you have that first paycheck, you know exactly what you did to come back and then do it all over. I think the, the, the problem is not a, a lack of information, like especially on YouTube and stuff like that. Yep, yep. The problem is on how to put it together. Like, is it, you know, how do you, how do you assemble the pieces? Do you have a, I think we have a ton of boxes of just scrambled Legos out there right? How do you put it together? What's the, the format How, in, in the most efficient way, the best way, the, the way that it's going to make sense when you're looking at a deal three, you know, three weeks into it. And, and that's, that's what I do. So it's called the Wholesaling Business Blueprint. If uh, anybody's interested, they can go to the Wholesaling Inc. website at wholesalinginc.com forward slash WBB. That's dot com. So um, the Wholesaling Business Blueprint. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and, and that's, what you said there is is something that I went through when I was making my transition is you have all of these boxes of Legos. Like you said, you got all of these boxes of Legos, but then you go to, you go to YouTube and you have 50 different instruction manuals Right. because looking at 50 different videos. So it's like, okay, well, what am I building here? Am I building this? Am I building this? Am I building this? So then those Legos really get no use. You know, they're constantly being played with, but they're not building anything. So man, thank you. Thank you so much, Raphael, for, for the words of inspiration and encouragement that you, that you have given us. So before we leave, man, how can we reach you? How can we find you on social? How can we connect with you? I'm pretty active on, on Instagram. So it's at Rafael Cortez, CEO. That's my handle at okay. Rafael CEO. 
Um, also, my YouTube channel, I'm dropping just content out there on a regular basis almost every day. And it's on entrepreneurship, on wholesaling, on mindset, organizational psychology, and, and business strategies and tactics. So, yeah, if anybody wants to reach out, just shoot me a DM. All right, guys. DM Rafael at Rafael Cortez CEO. Slide into his DMs. You guys know what to do. We don't like to give, you know, information without instructions and you have to make sure you apply it. So application. So Raphael, before we sign off, man, give us some brief words of encouragement to that struggling investor, that person that's, you know, in the midst of a failing flip, in the midst of a botched wholesale deal, you know, or, you know, have bad tenants. What are some words of encouragement that you can share with us? Listen, when you're at the, at the low stage, right, it's uh, better days will come. I mean, we hit, we hit rock bottom. Uh, but there's only one way to go after that. I mean, the, uh, the key thing here is it's imperfect action. It's stay consistent. Action, really, I can't say it enough, but I think action cures all, especially when in, uh, in an emotion. If you dwell, you sit there and then you, uh, that hole just gets deeper, gets deeper and deeper and deeper. But if you take, start taking action towards whatever you feel it's right, it doesn't even have to be perfect. Do not wait for that perfect moment. It's never going to come. But if you take massive imperfect action towards your dreams, take that next step. Okay, what can I do right now? What can I do this minute that I have control over? And you take that action. Sometimes we don't feel like it. I mean, we don't professionally, emotionally, physically, we don't feel like doing it. However, at the end of it, it it's uh, the end of the day, oftentimes it's an emotional uh, rut that we're in, right? So take that step, even when, when you don't feel like it, and then keep walking towards that, uh, toward that uh, area, even if it's not completely clear what you want to have. At the end of the day, the path will clarify the vision. I mean, I, that's how I strongly feel. So There you go. So, and I'll sum it up with this, the discipline of doing. You just got to be disciplined in your doing. So, Raphael, I want to thank you, man. I appreciate you being here on the show. It was an honor. It was a pleasure, you know, to have you here. Thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing you throughout the Valley and seeing all of your content on IG and on YouTube. So, and party, guys, you know what to do. Always remember to enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.